The views and opinions expressed in this podcast may be triggering and don't necessarily reflect the views of myself or Blue Matter Project. Please note that I'm not a licensed therapist or a doctor, and all opinions of our guests are for informational purposes and should not be considered medical advice. For any questions about your own health, please consult a medical professional. Hi everyone, I'm Elaine Clark and this is the Mindful Matters Podcast. I'm here in Toronto winding down and wrapping up before the holidays and we're going to be taking a bit of a break from the podcast until the new year and I have one more special guest interview this year that I'm really excited to share with you. Now one of my favorite ways to learn is by diving into people's creative journey and into their stories and by understanding what we can learn from their experiences. I've personally found that other people's journeys are really inspirational in my life, and that's why I try to share these with you here on the podcast. My guest today is Manika Raman Wilms, who is the author of the novel, The Rooftop Garden, and she's also the host of The Decibel, the daily news podcast from The Globe and Mail. In today's episode, we're talking about her book and her creative journey and what we can learn from both of these. And I'm just so thrilled to have her here on the show. And I'm so thrilled that you're here and tuned in. Let's welcome her on the show. Manika, I am so happy that you're here today. I'm so happy to be here too. Thank you so much, Elaine. I'm so happy we were able to make this work. So much has transpired since we last connected. And I want to give our listeners some context. You and I, we met at the yoga studio here in Toronto, and I feel like you and I instantly connected. You were coming to some of my yoga classes, and then we took yoga classes together, and then we went for coffee chats. And (laughs) I feel like we, we connected about language and books. And I know that you're a person that loves and cherishes words. And I'm also a person who loves words. It's it's one of my top love languages. And mm-hmm. I just want to start by saying, I am so proud of you. Your new book has just come out about a month ago. Congratulations. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's it's really exciting to kind of have it out in the world. Um, as you as you mentioned, Elaine, like I, I do love words and I love reading and it's always been writing has always kind of been something that I've I've done too. And so, you know, just to like actually have a book out there is, yeah, it just, it just feels really good. <laughs> yeah. Well, you, you've done such a good job and can we talk about your book? I want to dig into the inspiration for this book. From what I know, you were traveling in Berlin when you first started writing this. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I was I was in Berlin in 2015 uh, when it when it all kind of kind of started coming together. Uh, I was actually living there for six months with one of my friends. We were kind of figuring out what to do. So I moved from Toronto to Berlin for six months just to you know kind of have something different to experience something new. Because uh, I had realized I'd never actually lived outside of the GTA, outside of the Toronto area. Even though I'd traveled a fair bit, I'd never actually spent like a long time outside of the area. Uh, and so, yeah, I was in, in Berlin for, for that length of time. And there was just a lot going on in the city that kind of inspired me and new things I was seeing and like new things that were happening in the world that kind of kind of got the inspiration for this book going. Yeah, well, I want to talk about the creative process of this book because back in the summer of... 2018, I think it was, you sent me a draft of this book. And it's, it's honestly forgotten that. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I actually I pulled it up actually before our conversation. And I was also comparing the two. It's really cool. I'm, Mm -hmm. 
It's amazing to see how the book has evolved over seven years now. And, you know, as readers, we get to enjoy the end product of the book. And I love hearing about the birthing and the growth, the growth process and how this, you know, this creative writing journey has been for you. So let's talk into that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's actually really funny that you mentioned that because I'd for, I'd forgotten that that yeah we had talked about this and I'd sent you a copy of that. But y- you can see like there it's been such a, a long process of of like the writing and the revising. And I think that's one of the things that I didn't when I was kind of setting out when I was starting writing. You don't necessarily realize so much about writing a book. How much, at least for me, how much revision actually went into the process. I just kind of thought like, yes, you sit and you, you, you know, you write it and, and then you have it there. But I was constantly rewriting and constantly kind of having new ideas or maybe a better way of saying things, right? And, and especially once you're doing something over a few years, like you're growing as a person, you're, you're being exposed to different things. And so you, you have different outlooks on, on the subject matter you're writing about and, and that evolves. And so there was just a lot of like revising and revisiting uh, of, of the, the content and the, and the work that was happening. Yeah, I love this idea that our creative projects are actually building us and not the other way around. So mm-hmm. we're, we're building it, but it's, it's actually, um, sorry, we're not building it, it's actually building us. And I love that. And, and that's certainly how I feel about some of the creative ventures that I've been on. And I think this is why creating is so important, you know, not only for our mental health, but because it's, it's creating us, it's evolving us at a very deep level. Would you say so as well? Has this mm-hmm. kind of helped you evolve over the years? Yeah, that's a really interesting way of thinking about it. I, I like that way of framing it. And I, I think it also kind of helps me make sense of things in a way. I think like I, I see creative outlet, outlets, especially writing, as kind of a way for me to reflect on things in the world with with it kind of being easier to do through fiction in a way. Because I think if you're, you know, people do journal and sometimes I do write, do write in a journal and stuff as well. But I often find it's it's just easier to... To, to have that kind of one once removed, right? To have something fictionalized instead of just um, just the the facts there alone. It, it kind of, in a way, it, it's an easier way to get into things. And I think that really lets me reflect on, you know, the experiences that I, I've had too. And like, I think about the time in Berlin, right? Like all the things that I was seeing there kind of did end up a lot of things ended up in the book but it also like that was a that was a big experience for me to be in Berlin in this new city for a long time too so I was I was very much changed by it as well yeah tell us a little bit more about that I'd love to know you know what inspired you what what pieces of you know Berlin did you kind of pull through into your writing tell us more yeah I I, I love talking about Berlin because it's such a cool city uh, one of the things that really struck me I think when I was there was kind of this mix of, of natural and urban spaces. Uh, and this kind of really captured my imagination, I think, because the spaces I was seeing were uh, like urban spaces that had kind of been, in a way, kind of reclaimed by nature. So you have just the, the, the way that Berlin's history is rolled out, like you had the wars that were buildings were destroyed. You also had, of course, the Berlin Wall that split the city for a number of decades. And so you had a lot of areas that were kind of just there's a, there was this destruction there and then it wasn't immediately built up again. And 
trees kind of grew over these areas and grasses and they were kind of reclaimed by nature. And I, I remember seeing a picture of, I think it was one of the buildings uh, that was bombed in the Second World War and it hadn't been immediately repaired and there was this tree growing up this staircase. And I thought, wow, this is, that really captured my imagination because it was kind of the reversal of what I'd always seen. I've always thought about you know, humans paving over the natural world and, and kind of claiming, claiming the trees and claiming the natural spaces. But this was almost a reassertion of nature, reclaiming these urban areas. So that really captured my attention. Um, and the other things I think that were going on there as well, like the political situation uh, that was happening in 2015, this was the year, of course, where uh, over a million refugees, migrants, people were coming into Europe uh, from the war in Syria and other, other instabilities elsewhere as well. And so a lot of people were coming into Germany. There was a lot of the uh, welcome culture, so a lot of people welcoming these individuals, but there's also a lot of political uh, backlash too, where people feeling the opposite way. So there were tensions in that sense. Um, the Paris attacks happened in November of that year, uh, where 130 people were, were killed in, a, in, a, in attacks in that city. And so there was just a lot of different things going on. There was a lot of tension, a lot of heightened emotions that were happening at that time. And so I think all of those things, it, it just, there were a lot of complex ideas and emotions that were, were happening in, in my experience in Berlin. And I think those were kind of things that really started me thinking about this book. Yeah, and you, you did such a good job, by the way, describing that tree and the staircase in, in one of the parts of the book. I think it's in the beginning of the book you talked about that. Um, and from yeah. what I know, you were actually there when the, the attacks happened um, in Paris. Like, Tell us a little bit more. I think you were in a market. Is that right? So I wasn't in a market that night, but I was I, I was in a market later. So I, I'll tell you kind of the I, I wasn't actually in a situation that was that was too dangerous, but there were a lot of heightened tensions at that time uh, in in Berlin. So the the Paris attacks happened on November thirtieth, or sorry, the Paris attacks happened on November thirteenth, uh, and I remember being out at, at, a, at a pub with friends and and kind of feeling the nervousness of that time, and that that nervousness kind of stuck around for the the next couple of months, next month and a half when I was in Berlin. Uh, you could just tell people were on edge a little bit. And so I was in a Christmas market a, a month later with one of my friends, I remember, and we were having mulled wine and it was fun and it was this kind of packed, packed courtyard. It was, it was beautiful. There were lots of families out. Um, and there was, there was a, little, uh, a little kind of mini explosion sound that happened in the middle of this afternoon. And nobody really knew what it was. The whole market went quiet and everyone stopped. And then you could just feel this kind of the panicked energy just all of a sudden start and people started running. And, and, it, and it was a very scary moment because you don't know what's happening. You, you've just, you, you, know, you know what's in the atmosphere in, in, this, in this world at this point in time. And so everyone was really scared. I remember like parents grabbing their kids out of strollers and everyone was just running for the exit. And so you, me and my friend kind of ran out and there were emergency vehicles that came and we, we kind of moved uh, out with the crowd and, and later found out that it, it wasn't a dangerous situation. There was a propane tank or something that had exploded behind one of the mm -hmm. stalls. Uh, but the reaction of all of us in that market, the, the heightened fear, the anxiety that was so palpable, uh, mm -hmm. you know, you could, people were really on edge and, and that was the, the kind of environment that, that was there at that time. Yeah, I can only imagine that's really scary to mm -hmm. be in that and the sounds of people screaming like I could just as you were describing that mm -hmm. I could just imagine that whole situation 
That's yeah, really intense. A, yeah, it's it's something that definitely sticks in my mind. That kind of the initial the initial moments there, because you know, I'd, my my life growing up in in again like the GTA, like that's not a common experience for 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 someone who's had that kind of upbringing, right? So it does it does kind of stand out. Right. So talking about mental health is something that I I want to I want to touch on, and something I was thinking about is that you know, you're such a, a great example of someone who has stayed in the game. You know, you you completed this book, you, you kept going. You know, I think a lot of us have ideas and things we want to accomplish, you know, big ambitions, um, but we can get sidetracked or distracted or come up against resistance or lose interest or, you know, just life happens like, you know, situations mm -hmm. like you, you went through, um, you know, that just that we fall off this creative path. And so, you're someone who you finished it. And I, I think a lot of us will start, but not finish. And I think, you know, we all start our projects on day one with the same kind of heightened enthusiasm. And then at year one, you know, we all feel really down about ourselves and we feel we have nothing left to give. And I, I would love it if you could walk us through how you felt on this journey, maybe leading up to writing the book in Berlin and then you know, years mm. after that, uh, maybe touching on your own mental health in the process of creating this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's the thing is, yeah, it is a, it is a long process, and I think it's kind of one of those things where it's almost important to at the outset that you don't know how long it's going to take because it 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 does seem daunting. Uh, and I don't know one thing that I always I always try to do is I would kind of break it down into manageable goals, and I always thought that that kind of helped me get get through it because if you know if I'm thinking about this this massive thing if I knew it was going to take me like seven years until it was published that almost seems like like you know unfathomable um, but right. I'd always try to I'd always try to break it down into goals so when I was you know writing a section trying to give myself like mini deadlines and I would always that that helped me kind of reframe it for myself I think that it didn't seem like it was too big of a task that they seemed more manageable uh, so I'd give myself like little goals of you know in a couple of weeks I have to be done this section and you know then I'd have to find time just to work towards that goal and and then okay once I'm done that I can work towards the next section and one yeah. thing that I would do uh, even even smaller goals um, was my rule was that I had to write I had to write one sentence a day and that seems like you think about that you're like well that's gonna take you forever to write a book if you write one sentence a day uh, and there are days where you write more but the point of the one sentence a day thing for me was that it would kind of keep me in the story in a way that if I'd left it for a week and then I came back to it the next weekend I'd be like oh what was I writing about I'd have to get into the headspace again uh, that would take me a long time whereas if I wrote one sentence a day, I would I would be constantly kind of thinking about it, at least in the back of my mind, because I know I have to figure out, you know, the next the sentence where, where the story is going to go next um, before the end of the day, and that really helped me. So I honestly just like the, I found for me thinking about this big task, I broke it down into like smaller tasks, and then like even smaller, like minuscule little daily tasks, and just knowing I just have to do this regular thing every day. Uh, it almost becomes kind of habit, right? You don't necessarily, it doesn't seem like a heavy lift after a while because it's just part of your like daily routine. Uh, and that I think really helped me kind of stay stay motivated in a way. Yeah, I love that so much. I I feel that, you know, so I, I've been writing. I've been, I've actually been, I've written in Mexico in um, I've written in Greece and Portugal and then also in Costa Rica. And I find that uh, like, 
I get, I, because I'm giving it so much energy and attention when I'm away or, you know, when I'm right, when I'm working on this project, like it, it just, it's like mm. momentum catches up and, and, but then when you take some space from it, then you lose that momentum and that kind of passion for it. So I love That's that. That's the just hard kind of one, part. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then also something else I want to talk about is perfectionism, which, um, you know, something I actually struggle with when I'm writing. And I think a lot of people can relate to this. I feel like, perf you know, I feel like perfectionism is the murderer of good things. It's like a, <laughs> a serial killer and it's a dangerous one for the creative process because mm. having, you know, having high standards for ourselves is, you know, not being good enough is something that can really stop us on, on this creative journey. And I think the, the true perfectionist won't even start because the standards are just so high. And I know I, I can feel like that sometimes. Um, I've really worked through that in, in recent years. Did you ever feel that way when you're writing this book? Did you ever want to just put it at the bottom of the drawer and just walk away? <laughs> yeah, there's definitely times where you think like, oh my God, this is like, what am I, what am I doing? Is this, is this really like, is this really going to come to anything? Uh, yeah, there's, there's definitely that, but I, I always feel like Eventually, I, I have to because you know if I don't do it, you know it's not it's not going to get done. But I, I I often I need like a little break, so and I think it's good to give yourself little breaks because sometimes kind of trying to hammer something over and over again when you know it's clearly not not quite working, your headspace isn't quite right. That's off, often not going to be that productive. So um, I often give myself little breaks of exercise, honestly, um, and and getting outside. So. Uh, especially during the pandemic when you couldn't do a lot like I really relied on my my daily walks or my daily runs um, I was I tried to get outside at least a couple of times a day and that was actually really key when I when I did get stuck with my writing like just going for a walk and thinking about something completely different and uh, just like physically getting out of the space that I write in and you know different different head I said been talking about headspace a lot, but that's really crucial, I think, for me, especially when I'm writing fiction, just like having um, having literal physical space to think in so that I can mentally kind of get into a place of writing fiction. Um, was That's really key. And so, yeah, those little breaks, uh, yoga breaks too. I, I like yeah. my yoga breaks as well. That's really helpful. Uh, and yeah. I find it helpful to like physically move my body. Uh, that, that gives me a little bit of a break so that when I do sit down again and, and start writing, it always feels just, it, it feels like I have a little bit more energy or, you know, just a, a little bit easier than, than when I left. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you, as you were talking about writing fiction, it's funny, some of my friends are always poking fun at me saying like, do you read anything else other than self-help books? <laughs> and I'm, I'm so happy. I'm so happy to be deep into your novel right now. I'm currently reading it and I was hoping mm -hmm. we could chat after I finished reading it, but I'm, I'm almost done your book. And this book is so well done. And I love being lost in the character development, which is such a nice change for me because, you know, I read about like the brain and meditation and yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm really resonating with the book and one of the main characters in your book, Nabila. And so mm -hmm. I'd love to talk a little bit about the, the character development. And I want some, I want to spend some time talking about um, you know, did the characters just start coming to you as you were writing or did you begin with a very clear image of these characters and some of their qualities? It was a it was a process, honestly, like uh, developing these characters took a little bit of time. I had kind of a vague, vague idea. Nabila came to me first um, and uh, she came to me while I was in Berlin. I was kind of trying to figure out. Uh, you know, who exactly she was. And she went through a few iterations for sure from the beginning to the final product. Um, but 
but yeah, she she kind of I think I started with her and then and then Matthew uh, a little bit after. And what I did with Matthew actually that really helped me was I I wrote a short story about about him and that really that kind of concentrated creative work really let me explore who he was uh, in in kind of an, an intense amount of times because I had to I wrote it over just a few weeks and so that really helped me figure out um, figure out who he was and then I think the the important thing though with both of those characters was really their relationship and that was something that I was it again went through a few iterations as the book went on um, because they are friends, they're friends when they're kids, and then when they're adults, they're not exactly friends, but they're they're close in a way that you you kind of are with old friends sometimes, even though you haven't spent too much time, you know, in recent years together, because they have that that shared history. And so, playing on figuring out what their relationship was exactly was was a really interesting part for me. Um, there's yeah. there's kind of yeah, there's, there's, uh, you know, there's kind of a, they both kind of need each other and, and kind of want to be around each other, but it's a little bit, it's not, it's not as straightforward, I think, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I love that actually. And you describe the two main characters uh, and you include some of their childhood experiences and how their lives are actually really quite different and with different upbringings. And you also include a little bit of attachment theory and attachment wounds and, you know, how these wounds play out in their choices and in their dynamic, in their relationship. And being in the space of mental health and, you know, psychology, I love this. And I don't want to ruin it for the listeners, but Matthew, one of the characters, finds himself on a, a suicide mission. Mm -hmm. And let's talk into this a bit since, you know, this is a podcast about mental health. And I feel this is a really important one to talk about. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's I think the thing with Matthew is that he didn't necessarily kind of intentionally get himself into this situation. He was kind of he was vulnerable in a lot of ways and uh and and so then he he kind of made a series of choices and he and he had other people making choices for him that it kind of made him end up in this place uh, i i thought it was interesting to explore though what kind of things happen you know in someone's childhood and their whole life but i i took it to to kind of points in their childhood that that might set them off towards this kind of path and so you know when you see matthew as a kid he's he's a he's a lonely kid he doesn't have his parents around a lot uh he's he's kind of being cared for after school by his older sisters who don't really pay much attention so he's he's often on his own he doesn't have a, a lot of companionship companionship save save for nabila uh, and so he's kind of figuring things out on his own. He he's really kind of craving um, the human connection that he doesn't doesn't get as a kid. And so you can see then, hopefully at least when you know in the scenes when he's an adult, that kind of also carries over there. And that and that's what ends up making him a little bit vulnerable because because he is lonely. And so when people start to befriend him, he's he's ready to take that friendship on, but. Um, you know, these are individuals in the story that that kind of have an ulterior motive that have other plans for him. And so he finds himself kind of caught up in a way almost unintentionally, but he, he doesn't also have the tools to extract himself. Uh, and so that's kind of how he, he ends up in, in, in this situation where he realizes there's, there's, there's not a lot of options left for him. And I really right. wanted to explore, like, you know, we see the headlines, I think, of, of the kind of these ex extremist things that, that go on. But I really wanted to explore, you know, how, you know, what happens in someone's life that might set them on that path. And, you know, one of the 
major themes of the book is loneliness in a way when, you know, I feel mm -hmm. this is another really important one to talk about, especially in the context of mental health and the pandemic and even post pandemic. And I love that you've, you were writing this book during the pandemic. So talk to us a little bit why you decided to incorporate this into the book. Yeah, I think loneliness is really a, a kind of central theme there. And I think it's something that you know, we are experiencing a lot of these days, of course, with the pandemic where we like physically couldn't be with people for a long time. Uh, that's that's kind of really come to come to the front of our minds, I think, because of that. Uh, and, and Matthew is certainly lonely. Just just talked about, you know, some of the some of the ways that he's feeling that. Um, but Nabila, too, like she you, you think you get a sense from the book that she's she is very driven. Um, she's very focused on on climate change. She's a scientist. And so she very much wants to create good change in the world and do something about this big problem. Um, but, you know, that means she ends up throwing herself into into work a lot. And she doesn't necessarily have a lot of uh, other things going on in her life, not a lot of other supports. Um, so she's kind of lonely in her own way, too. And, and that's why. I think when the, this interesting relationship, hopefully interesting relationship between the two of them is in a, in a way that they're both lonely and they kind of get some kind of companionship from the other. And, and, and that's kind of what what they're they're both looking for in, in a way. Uh, and, and with Nabila, too, there's I think there, there's kind of a, an anxiety that she has around climate change. And she's she's found a constructive way to to deal with that. Um, but that's something that really that that cause it can be a very strong force. Uh, that's a strong force in her life that really kind of pushes her to, you know, throw everything she has into trying to fix help fix this this big problem of climate change. But that ends up meaning that she she does kind of not put as much time and attention into other areas of her life. Right. You know, something I'm, I'm always really curious about when I talk to authors is, you know, I, what I've seen is there seems to be this kind of divide. Some authors will write about their, you know, stories or experiences that are very close and personal to their heart. And others will write about things that they have no experience with or no personal attachment to. I, I'm curious, where do you fall on that spectrum when, when you're writing this book? Oh, yeah, that's a, that's a good question. And it's probably, I guess it's probably somewhere in the middle. Uh, it's and it's probably changed over time too. I think the initial iterations of the book uh, were. I was probably working through like you know the scenes I was seeing in Berlin and the ways I was feeling in Berlin. That probably got a little bit more integrated at the start, and so that would set kind of a base for it. Um, but really, as it evolved, these characters took on lives of their own, and they became more fuller people on their own, and the story developed in a different way. And so I think probably the end product is is a little more further removed from from actually anything that I've um, that I've really been, like would say is anything that I've experienced. But uh, but I would say like the roots of the book are kind of very much in the the experience I had in Berlin and 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 the, the ways I was feeling and thinking about things there, too. Yeah, well, I I love this book. I'm, I'm honestly just, I'm so thrilled that we're having this conversation today. And for any of our listeners that are listening right now, what were you hoping that they experienced from reading this book? Mm. I think it would, it would be to kind of, to look underneath, I guess, the headlines or the big stories that we often, that we often see. Um, you know, I've been, I've been talking about climate change and extremism, and, and sometimes it's easy to, to tune those, those things out because they are such the such big things that are, are kind of hard to grasp. Um, but I, I hope this book kind of explores 
the, the human element of, of both of these things, the way that the way that we feel about climate change and the way the world is 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 shifting, um, the way that uh, someone can get wrapped up in in down a path of extremism, how that happens, how the things in their life come together to let that happen. Uh, and and yeah, I guess it's the kind of the the stories I guess behind behind these these big picture ideas hopefully is is interesting and hopefully eventually lets us understand these these ideas in in a in a better more more fulsome way. Yeah, well, I think this is very timely and very relevant uh, to a lot of what we've been going through in the past few years. And you are such a gem. Thank you so much for coming mm -hmm. on the show today. I really look forward to catching up again over coffee. Um, mm -hmm. How can our listeners purchase this book? Oh, thank you so much, Elaine. Uh, I, I, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see you again, too. Hopefully we can do that. Uh, and people can get the book on Indigo. It's available online there, available um, uh, at your local independent bookstore as well. They should, they should have it in stock. Great. And we're going to have links in the show notes so people can easily click and purchase. Thank you so much for being here today. I loved having this conversation with you. Thank you so much, Elaine. This was really fun. So that's it for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. And I really hope you'll join us next time. Mindful Matters is written, hosted, and recorded by me, Elaine Clark. Special thanks to Karen Zorzi, our editor, Tawny Stoiber for the artwork, and our theme music by Bellwoods. If you can, please leave us a review. It helps others discover the show, and we really appreciate it. Let's keep these conversations going over at Blue Matter Project. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. I will stand near and shout